a reading from Romans 6. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed of sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said to the 12 disciples, a disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like a master. If they had called the master of the house of Bezalel, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become unknown. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, Proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a day when we are saturated in our stories of scripture with family, though perhaps 
discussing family in a way that might make us uncomfortable, setting man against father and daughter against mother, hearing the story of how Isaac and Ishmael, brothers, were turned against each other, and how Abraham cast away his son and the mother of his son, is a day in our country where we celebrate the Hallmark holiday of Father's Day. And now I am not one who likes to celebrate Hallmark holidays in church. While yes, there are many of us who have our outpouring of love for our fathers, it's also a complicated day for those whose relationships cannot be so celebratory. I myself feel the grief and sadness of losing my father, even as I celebrate my husband, my stepdad, and my father-in-law. I cannot deny, though, that our scriptures call out these stories of family. In fact, if we pull out even farther, if we look at the scriptures as a whole, they are all stories of family, the human family. If we go back to the very beginning, we are all interconnected and related. Scripture is one big story of our family. It is one big story of who we are connected with or should be connected with. And yet this gospel is the type that I normally want to shy away from. It's a type of Sunday when I go on vacation, have someone else preach Jesus saying, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. It does not exactly jive with how we normally proclaim Christ. I love to proclaim a Christ who forgives unfailingly, who brings peace and unity, who calls us together rather than driving us apart, whose grace is bountiful. The Jesus who brings a sword makes me much more uncomfortable. I want to shy away from scripture that speaks of such division, scripture where God tells Abraham to send away Hagar. These are where I want to run and turn from scripture and start to cherry pick to other gospels. Gospels where Jesus says, look at how we're called to love one another. Look at stories like Ruth and Naomi where mother or mother-in-law and daughter-in-law are united and close. But today, Jesus is calling us to lean in to the discomfort. We are in a time of discomfort in our country, and that's an understatement. We are in a time of revolution and upheaval. We are in a time when the treatment of people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are black, brown, indigenous, where people of color, and their struggle in this country and that history is coming further and further to light. Not new, but revealed in a way for people like myself who sit in the place of the majority, who benefit from the history of white supremacy are confronted with a reality that we have been more comfortable being blind to up until now is a time of revolution and upheaval. And it is exactly the gospel that we hear today that speaks to the type of situation we find our country in. I come not to bring peace, but a sword. For me, someone who sits in the seat of the oppressor, 
of that, those who have had power. This gospel should absolutely make me uncomfortable. Because peace is something that white progressive Christians have hid behind for too long for the sake of the gospel, but not for the sake of Christ, for the sake of our own comfort, our own security, to be unchallenged. Like many Christians and like many people throughout the country, I have been taking this time to take a long, hard look at my own life, my own place in it, the benefits and privilege that I have had the great privilege to benefit from. I've been reading books like White Fragility that have challenged the underlying racism of all people whose skin color that looks like mine, my own complacency within this system. I've been listening to the calls of our presiding bishop, the bishop of our own diocese, Greg Rickle, and the calls of all people striving to truly live into the gospel, to listen to the voices of the marginalized, and to acknowledge the systematic racism that not only our country, but our religion has benefited from. Recently, I finished the book, Dear Church, A Love Letter to the Whitest Denomination. It's by Lenny Duncan, an African-American minister in the ELCA church, that's the Lutheran church in this country, or one of them. And he writes this book with a long, hard, and loving look at the way in which the progressive Protestant church has been complacent in white supremacy. And what he calls out, what struck me so deeply, was this dichotomy of justice versus peace. I love talking about peace and reconciliation. I truly and deeply love the confession because I love that moment of absolution. I love getting to proclaim absolution for our community. It is a joyous and bountiful feeling. And it is a scapegoat. It is a way in which I, I'll speak for myself and not for all of us, but I know I personally shy away from the harder history that exists in our denominations, in our faith and in our church. We strive for peace and reconciliation, but we do not always do the work of looking at the history, atoning for the true sins that are behind that history, and breaking down the system that continues to perpetuate violence and marginalization of those who do not look like me. Our scripture today speaks exactly to that truth, that justice will not look immediately like peace, that to proclaim the gospel, we're going to get very uncomfortable. Look at the history of Isaac and Ishmael, how their story has perpetuated violence in our country and in our world and in our history. How the separation of Isaac and Ishmael in the fathering of the faiths of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam 
led to moments like the Crusades, to our hatred of people of other faiths, especially those whose skin color is different than our own. There are many stories in scripture of siblings being set against one another that we have used in our faith, in our religion, as justification for violence. In the offertory today, we will hear a story related to the flood, but a reminder of the story of Cain and Abel and the descendants of Cain. Now, the descendants of Cain according to scripture, were marked. There's the mark of Cain. In the early generations of this country, Protestant Christians used the mark of Cain as justification for slavery, calling the skin color of slaves the mark of Cain. The Southern Baptist Church used it as justification for slavery. Brigham Young famously argued that the children of Cain could not and should not hold political or religious office. This is the history that we reckon with. This is the history that we atone for. Remembering days such as Juneteenth and recognizing that that was not freedom. It was a day followed by Black Co's Jim Crow laws, the prison pipeline, and generations unable to accumulate wealth or status. In Dear Church, the Reverend Lenny Duncan argues that it's not reconciliation that we are in desperate need of. Those white Christians, that's what we're most comfortable with. He argues that it's reparations that we should be striving for. How do we actually atone for the sin of racism as a church, as a denomination, as individuals? There cannot be peace until that happens. Atonement is necessary for absolution. In these times, I have been ever so reminded of how politically diverse my own family is. Or my extended family who I encounter on social media often will share beliefs that differ from mine. I have been in a bit of a don't ask, don't tell situation with all of that, staying away from engaging in those discourses because that politeness of how we treat family, the sanctity of those relationships has always been upheld. And yet Jesus says, I will turn man against father and daughter against mother. Recently, such an instance happened, an extended family member of my father challenging a belief that at its core felt to be in opposition of the gospel. And I recognize that our scripture today says, our silence is sin. We are called to call out, to speak and proclaim truth, to name God's truth before others. It may mean that we risk relationships, but politeness and the sanctity of those relationships 
cannot be above honoring all the children of God. In the coming weeks, we are beginning a class at Emmanuel called Sacred Ground. 25 people from our community have signed up to do this intensive course that is truly written from the perspective of white people confronting systematic racism, our white fragility and the history of racism within this country from the perspective of our faith to help lead us to bold action. I wonder if selfishly I'm offering this class because it feels like what I need right now to confront that within myself. But perhaps what I need is what many of us need, an opportunity to use our faith as a lens through which to see what is happening in this world. I take deep pride in the fact that our denomination is providing us with resources and the ability to start addressing this. That our denomination is not shying away from our complicated history, but striving to be a different church in the future. And I am grateful that so many are joining me on this journey. Jesus comes not to bring peace, but a sword. Not to pull us artificially into resolution or reconciliation. But to help and be with us as we do the hard and painful work of dismantling unjust systems. Of dismantling systems of oppression and power to raise up the lowly. And even if that means I give up some privilege or a lot of privilege, even if that means cutting down the very way I know how to be, if it brings me closer to Christ, closer to God, then I am grateful to be on this journey, no matter how painful or uncomfortable it may be because that is how God calls us to be in relationship with the world. God is with Hagar and Ishmael in the desert. God gives living water to those who cry out, to those who've been cast away and forgotten. God is striving to bring that living water here and now, and I invite us to join God in that work. Amen.